1: Paul, Tim, Elliot, and Clyde. This is Oscar Extra, and Arsenal Vision Live. Hey guys
2: and it's Clive Th- This must be what it's like to score a goal or something, right? Yeah. That's what I was, was just thinking like Premier League players must be terrified.
1: <laughs> this is only 850 people. 60,000. Oh, I wouldn't turn up.
2: <laughs> Have a Good evening, everybody. It's brilliant to see you. Thank you so much for being
3: here. Wow.
2: Just to uh, set the scene for you a little bit, we've got some some bits and pieces going on. In part two, we're gonna do some Q&A from you guys. We're gonna do it via Twitter. So if you have questions, you can tweet them at the account arsvisionlive. At arsvisionlive. Do not go to that URL. There, there may be some history there that Elliot doesn't want you to see, but that's fine. That's uh, my other Patreon.
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh, also, <laughs> also in part two, we've got some prizes. We've got some really cool prizes to give away. We've got signed gloves from Aaron Ramsdale, we've got a signed shirt, we've got a signed Arsenal football, some of the new kit to give away, and lots more. You should all have got a a ticket when you come in, so it'll be like a little raffle jamboree type thing, Uh, and we'll do that in part two as well. Uh, To kick us off this evening though, I'm going to hand over to Elliot because a part of why this crossover is happening and has happened is because of uh, what we did last month in terms of uh, fundraising for the Arcel Foundation and lots more. So to uh, introduce uh, that aspect of things, here's Elliot.
4: Yeah, thanks. I mean the obvious thing staring us all in the face is how special and incredible this community is. And that was no more obvious than last month when you helped us raise 107,000 pounds for the Arsenal Foundation and Save the Children. You guys did it. You all did it. Um, And and with Andrew's help and with everybody's help. Um, And a lot of you here today, I know we're a big part of that. And so it wouldn't be right to go forward without at least having uh, the woman who helps us organize those events, just come out and say her thanks to you and give you just a quick word on where that money went and who that money is helping. So Mairead King is with the Arsenal Foundation. She's here and if you could just say hello to Mairead, she'd love to tell you what they've been up to. So Mairead, it's good to see you.
0: Great. Wow. What a big crowd. <laughs> this is fantastic to see you all here this evening.
4: So the, the good news is, like, not that any of us are nervous at all, but the nice thing is we can put Mairead up first. She gets all the gaffs out of the way, and then it'll be smooth sailing from there. So, Maraid, why don't you tell us a little bit about um, where this great effort was directed?
0: Great. Thanks, Elliot. Um, well, first of all, the first thing I want to say is a huge thank you to everybody here and everybody listening from Arsenal Vision podcast and also um, Arscast who helped, um, who donated to this appeal. I mean, it is just phenomenal. 107,000 in one week. You. you all raised that. Thank you. Fantastic. Oh. <clears throat> Huge thank you from the Arsenal Foundation. I mean, that kind of funding is unbelievable. I mean, as many of you know, um, Elliot is quite a shy person and um, not very ambitious. And so when he came along to me and said, we're going to set a target of 50,000, I was like, "Mm, okay, let's see if we can hit that. And you guys smashed it. So um, congratulations. But um, to to get a bit serious for a moment, that £107,000 will really impact those families that are fleeing Ukraine and other refugees around the world. And, you know, before I came here today, I was looking at at all the stats. We partner with Save the Children, who are our global charity partner. They've been working in Ukraine since 2014. And they'd been working on the borders between Poland, Romania, Moldova, where families have fled. And there's lots of stats about your funding and where the money has gone. It has gone to help families immediately when they flee in terms of what medicines are needed, some shelter, some hygiene kits, things that we might think are, you know, basic necessities. But a lot of these families had to get up in the middle of the night and leave their homes but one of the things I was really struck by, and I hope you don't mind me sharing this story, if I don't take up too much time, um, is that when I, was, when I was reading everything and thinking what I would tell everybody about where the money has gone, one of the things that Save the Children do is they create what are called child-friendly spaces in a humanitarian setting. And that means when these families flee their homes, they're somewhere where children can go. That's a very safe place. Uh, where they can just be children again. Now, remember, a lot of the women had fled Ukraine. They fled with young children. A lot of the men had stayed behind to fight. So had older brothers, etc., and uncles. So these families arrived really traumatized into a different country. And the children were really stressed as well. Many of the children would have seen bombing. They would have been in the bomb shelters. Um, They would have seen maybe their schools bombed. And so they arrive on these border areas. And these child-friendly spaces are really, really important because they can go into these spaces which are dedicated for children and they can be kids again. And one of the, the reason this story really struck me was that the Save the Children um, staff are trained in mental health. And so they play with the kids, get them to have some more normalcy, get them to relax a little bit after their traumatic journey. And then the kids start doing drawings and a lot of them, nearly all of them, start drawing pictures of bombs and artillery and, you know, dreadful things that they have seen. And I was reading this article and actually the mental health experts were saying this is really, really important that the children process what they've gone through in terms of mental health. And it's incredibly important that they're able to discuss what has happened to them and what they've experienced. And it struck me that your donations have helped to create these services. And a lot of the time we hear about the immediate things that people might need, like medical support and shelter and hygiene kits. But actually the mental health of these children is really, really important. And that's a beacon of hope. And I thought that what these children are getting is a sense of They've seen a lot of brutality, a lot of things that no child should see, and yet in these child-friendly spaces, somebody is being kind to them. Somebody is offering this beacon of hope, and it's your donations, and it's the Arsenal family that are helping bring that beacon of hope to these kids, which is just amazing. That's
4: brilliant. Um, And then, obviously, there's work being done in the local community, and just as we say, goodbye I want to emphasize that the Arsenal Foundation is also focused not just in places like Syria and Ukraine and and refugee camps but here in the North London area and obviously the new shirt that just came out for the first time when you buy it from Arsenal there's a five pound donation going to the Arsenal Foundation specifically for local projects as well
0: yeah absolutely I mean all of our history of help has come from North London and what we're doing with our community teams and it's really important to emphasize that as well and I think you know Uh, As Elliot said, you know, five pounds from the shirt, um, from the new home shirt, is going to the Arsenal Foundation to support local initiatives. And again, these are vital services that are needed in our local community. So again, it's really, I'm extremely proud that it's our supporters who are helping and enabling this to happen, whether it's a beacon of hope across the world or a beacon of hope here in North London. So everyone should be really proud of themselves today.
4: Thank you. Thank you you so much. Thanks to Maria.
1: It it might feel like quite a big gear change to just start talking about football now, but then (laughs) what are these podcasts
2: about, if not processing trauma? (laughs) Speaking of which, We do have to talk about uh, football and talk about the season and talk about where we are and where we're going and what's happened and all the rest of it, but we were trying to think of ways that we could have a discussion about that this evening that don't cross over too much with all the uh, introspective podcasts we've had to do over the last week (laughs) that you've all probably listened to already. So. We want to make sure that this evening is an enjoyable evening for everybody, we want to talk about the things that are good, we, we're not going to ignore the things that weren't so good, but we're maybe going to do it in a, in a slightly different format, and part of that is going around here and asking these guys uh, in front of me here for their one takeaway from the season. So I'm going to start with Tim, and well, why not? what is, <laughs> sorry about that Tim, we probably should have organized that before we came out. <laughs> Feels like I've overlooked quite a lot of things this evening. Um, You're taking the first penalty. <laughs> <laughs> so what is, when you think about uh, this season, which, you know, still could end in hilarious fashion, uh, if we dare dream, yeah. if... <laughs> 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 what, is, what is your takeaway from this season?
5: Well, my first takeaway is, what is Delia's lasagna recipe? Because... <laughs> That might be very, very important. Three parts Um, poison, one part bins. (laughs) But more seriously, I think my big takeaway from the season is that, uh, and and as we look into next season, that recruitment is key. Because when I look at, I I think most people would agree there has been some improvement in Arsenal this year. You know, your mileage may vary on how much improvement you think there's been. But I don't necessarily think, and I, and I hope this doesn't come across as a massive criticism of the coach, I don't think it's a massive miracle of coaching. I think what happened was Arsenal bought six players last year, four of them went straight into the starting eleven and made our starting eleven better. And I think that is obvious, That is most obviously the key, and that is going to be most obviously the key this summer, doing something like that again. So. I don't think Arsenal got better this season because of, like, magic dust or anything. It's because they spent money on players and good players who fitted into the team and what Mikel Arteta wanted. And that's what we're going to have to do again this summer. Paul? Yeah.
6: (laughs) (laughs) You all came. (laughs) (laughs) They love you. They really love you. 900 beautiful bastards you're Don't magnificent. Say your normal
4: tagline tonight, okay? <laughs>
6: <laughs> yeah, true. Um, my big takeaway from the season, it was a game, or sorry, a season, but a game. A season of three parts. Um, and it's another season that, like, we all know the, the moment Smith Rowe joined the team on whatever that was, December 26th, the previous season, it punctuated that season into two parts. Maybe not everybody bought that, but I think most people saw a significant change. This season, for me, there are three, three periods. There's the period leading up to when we exile There's the We then go on a run, and that takes us through to the interlull. We come back from the interlull, and for whatever reasons, we're shot, we start losing players, and... You can look at it any way you like, but for, for me, I can see three portions of the season and rationalize it down and see what's good and bad in it. And I'm looking forward to the season where we just have a season, but, <laughs> and where you just look at the table. But we're so analytical these days. You look at the table, you look at so many other aspects of what's going on. To, to look through the tea leaves and to see where you're going and we invest so much time in it that I think it's not unreasonable to say there are seasons within a season. That was quite poetic there towards the end. (laughs) And I'd like to wrap up by just saying it's a little bit of a surprise for you, but you're actually at Podcastaholics Anonymous (laughs) you think you bought your tickets but somebody sent you here. You guys listen to a podcast and then you listen to the podcast that listens to their podcast (laughs) to work out what they (laughs) you have a problem.
2: (laughs) This is an intervention. I I feel like it's unfair to ask anyone to follow that now but... uh Clive, I'm going to ask you to do it. So what is your...
3: Oh my God, it's Clive! <laughs> uh, Firstly, can you hear me? Can you hear me? Oh. <laughs> oh. No? Is it, is it little... Yeah, can you hear me, yeah? So, um, yeah, my, uh, much more simplistic, really. Um, a lot of you go to games, I, I think you do. And so, and for all of you that go, you already know the answer, right? When you go to the ground, how does it feel? How does it look? how many smiling faces are there. And uh, f- for me, a football club is a collection of people and a collection of memories. And the memories this year have been so much better. You, you can't, you, 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 uh, you, you, can't de- you can't deny it. We're all there looking at the ticket exchange, getting our tickets in. And that tells you, you, I always say you can't fool people, right? They know when something feels right. The results may not always go your way, but you can't fool people. When they see a club running in the same direction, with the same common values, with the same motivations, values that match your own, then you say, you know what, I'm having some of that. I'm having some of that. And then then you go, then you listen, you look, and you feel. We all need our phones a lot, and there's a a phone audience, and there's a a match-going audience, and there's something in between, and I often say, there is a silent majority of people that just like the football and just want to feel good. And they don't say much. A lot of you are in this room, right? And I have to say, I'm going to say it for the first time. and we, we really appreciate you. And we're very fortunate with the audience that we have and the feedback we get from you. So that's my takeaway. The people, the connectivity, and the smiles that you see around the stadium. And like, I've had lots of you come up to me and no one's punched me in the mouth yet, right? So... <laughs> So something must be going well. So that's my takeaway. All right. James.
1: Well, it's, it's sort of adjacent, really. I mean, I mean, obviously, if we'd beaten Spurs or Newcastle, I'd probably say, oh, yeah, it's the season we got back into the top four. But given that it's not, I, I do think I will always remember this season as the year the fans came back. And obviously, I mean that in a literal sense, because <laughs> I was sat in those empty stadiums. Uh, and if you're a journalist, you're sort of contractually obliged to say how privileged you were, but actually it w- <laughs> it, it, it was rubbish like <laughs> It was rubbish like uh, sitting these empty hollow stadiums watching these games and I, and I just kept thinking like this isn't the game That I love this isn't the sport really this isn't the theater. This is nothing It's sort of meaningless without fans and so in a literal sense the fans came back, but More than that, they came back different. They came back more engaged and more connected. And I think a lot of that is to do with lockdown. There are lots of practical reasons, season ticket holidays, you know, the crowd's getting younger, brilliant work done by fan groups. But anyone who's been in that stadium, or indeed been to an away game this season, knows that it's different. It is different, it's more positive, it's a fantastic environment to be in. And I was in the away end at St. James's on Monday, and I watched you know, the game go up in smoke. And then at full time, I looked around me, and I saw these Arsenal fans singing their hearts out. And it's a memory I'll take with me, and it's a special one. So irrespective of results, that's how I'll remember this season.
2: I gotta, I gotta throw it over to you, Elliot. Sorry. Is that, I don't think there's anything left. I'm sitting here racking my brains going, I don't <laughs> know what the fuck to say. My
4: name is Elliot Smith, and I listen to podcasts. <laughs> um, I gotta disagree with James slightly, just because I think the fans, all right, they're all right, but they keep celebrating when teams win, and that, that has to stop, but I don't know. Um, so I thought I'd answer this in the form of song. Uh,
6: no.
2: Of course. <laughs> um...
4: <laughs> No, karaoke cut, cut last night ruined cut that for me. Um, so I think that the thing that I'll take away from this season is we need to remember how fine the margins are. And, and I'm guilty of this because sometimes I have takes. And, like, we make big conclusions, but the margins are so small. Look at what we go into now. Timu Puki's hat trick tomorrow is going to get us back into the top four. Like, that... The margins are that small, though, right? It's two Spurs goals after the 95th minute against Leicester. It's a soft penalty given against us against Manchester City. It's Martinelli's equalizer against Brighton that would have pulled us back in that game being ruled out because someone on a computer screen somewhere decided to draw lines in whatever way could take the goal away from us. Like, the margins are very fine. And yet, you wind up on the wrong side of those margins, and your conclusion is, the team's rubbish or the manager's rubbish or the players are rubbish and if all of a sudden tomorrow goes the way we hope all of those conclusions will swing the other direction and so I think the thing that I focus on is can I defend logically the things we are doing as a club do I see a progression that makes sense to me because clearly mistakes were made and clearly good things were done otherwise you know we if only good things were done we would have won the league and that'll surely happen next season but my point is simply that we should try to keep in mind how fine the margins are. And so when we have very strong feelings, because let's face it, that's what Arsenal produces in all of us, that's why we're all here, ask ourselves, are we overreacting to these fine margins? And I think it is a season that when we have the chance to have some objectivity to just say, we were closer, we were better, and now more work has to be done to get those fine margins to swing further in
1: our favor. Okay. Andrew, hi. Uh, have you got an original thought at this point,
2: or uh, it's kind of all of that wrapped up into one, which is oh, that's um, cheating. Come on, <laughs> hey, that's why I went last. <laughs> <laughs> I took the privilege, host privilege here.
6: You're doing the whole movie, and then yeah, yeah, the whole. Thing. You know, you have a
4: microphone, Paul, no right? Like this, <laughs> this is a big
2: room. There's lots of people in it. <laughs> Uh, I think what I was going to say was that the the sense of um, or the lack of infighting in a way that has been so prevalent over the last number of years for all kinds of reasons, that being, it's not that we don't have our rows and our frustrations and our differences of opinion and all that kind of stuff, but what I've liked is that if somebody from the outside has a go, we kind of circle the wagons a bit now and you know, (laughs) yeah, we'll get to him, don't worry. (laughs) You know, and and that element of it, that people are feeling protective of their club again, and they wanna defend it, and they don't just wanna join in with the the mayhem that happens uh, everywhere else, and like you guys, I've seen progression, I've seen things that have been good, some things that haven't been quite as good, unfortunately, but the fact that we are here, as the arsenal and everything else outside of that can, you know, you know what they can do. I know there are some children present, so I don't want to necessarily say it out loud. But that, that aspect of it, I think the, the, the creation of an element of unity among the fan base and the connection between the fans and the team, which we've all seen either through uh, the TV, and you can feel it through the TV, which tells you how strong it is, that aspect of it, I think, is, is the really big one for me. I still think the other answers were stronger, personally. No, I agree, <laughs> I agree.
4: Good job, Andrew. Thanks.
2: So where do we need to go now? This is the question. What do we need to do? What, what are the things that we absolutely have to, to focus on? I'll give this to you, James.
1: Uh, well, I thought you meant us, the six of us then. No,
2: yeah, well that... <laughs> <laughs> not, not we now, I mean the team, the club, when we're looking for next season, when we're looking to, to build on this platform, I mean, what is, what's the thing that you're looking for most?
1: Well, Tim touched on it, the, the importance of recruitment. And it's going to be the same this summer. It never stops, really. And the club took a kind of calculated gamble in January, really, by not recruiting. Essentially, they were saying, well, we don't want to do a short-term deal or a deal that's not our preference because we're going to prioritise our summer targets. And that's all well and good, but you, you have to deliver on that in the summer. And the proof will be... In the pudding, as we often say. And I look forward to seeing what the club get done because, yeah, we've improved, but we were all aware we're not where we want to be. And there's some way to go, yeah. Starts with a centre forward, of course. Yeah. <laughs>
4: Yeah. I heard there's some big Mbappe news that's broken. Is that about us? Do we know if that's about us?
5: No?
2: Well, based on the last time we did a live podcast, if we talk about that happening, he will end up signing for somebody else at the <laughs> interval.
3: That's okay, why. Is Unai on.
5: Emery going to be our manager by the end of tonight?
3: <laughs> 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 oh, wow. Because I'm not up for that. <laughs> but yeah, I, come on, yeah, go on. sorry. No, I was just going to say, right, if you're a football club and you're professional people, you're having a lessons learned meeting right now, right, about what you need to learn. And there are some trends that happened this season about managing adversity, coming back from goals down, what happens when people press us into our half, how we can exit, what's our strategy then, have you got a different way of playing when people get physical with us? I mean, you guys know this stuff, and it's important you remember it. So it's not just about recruitment, it's recruitment to solve problems. I know I get serious, I can't help it, I get serious. But it's it's recruitment to solve problems. The problems that we see, don't forget what they are. And I, I know what they are. Don't forget what they are when we can't play out, we can't play through, we can't play over, we can't play around, the press is coming at us. We have to have players that have the bravery, the physicality, the agility, the speed, the carrying ability. So it's not just about recruitment, it's recruitment to solve the problems that we all know are there. And I think, I'm hopeful the club... Well, I know they are, right? They're professional. I'm just some bloke with a with a Hugo Boss t-shirt on, right? So, like, um, I'm hopeful... Ooh, that, Hugo um, <laughs> Ooh, la di <laughs> All right, sorry. You, you know I'm a bit of a diva, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> Can <laughs> confirm. If I, if I didn't come out last, there'd be no show, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, so, so, um... So so basically, I'm hopeful that the club and they've seen what the problems are. I think that's the most important thing. They've looked at the horizon and said, yes, we need to solve this because this is what we're getting done for. We've lost a lot of games. If we fix that and we all feel that, we'll stay on the bus for a little bit longer. Do you see what I mean? If If they can see what we see and what we feel we get bullied at places, which I don't like. like. You may know that from listening to me, right? So I don't like that, and I hope we can solve that problem in our recruitment strategy. Elliot, let
2: me ask you a question. Um, we, we talk about recruitment, and that's obviously a really important part of what we gotta do, and like, imagine for a second, I know this is a crazy idea, but imagine we don't end up in the Champions League next season. I know that's, it's unlikely, but... Here comes the negativity. <laughs> what we've gotta do next season doesn't change that much. It's it's pretty clear one way or the other what we've got to do to make the team better and everything else. But when we're looking at the the work that the club is uh, is doing and has done in the transfer market, what about the outgoings? Is that an area where you think we need to push ourselves a bit further? Well, we love getting rid of players now. It's like <laughs>
4: it's like our favorite thing we did. But it in what January. if we got some money for them? That's what no, I'm saying. No. Revolutionary thinking being released here. Um, I think one thing that people should bear in mind is that the dynamics in football have changed in the transfer market such that I remember a time when you had to be in the Champions League because you needed the money, you needed the prestige, that's how you could attract the players. But as we know, the explosion of the revenue in the Premier League and the wages that can be offered means that I don't think we have the dependency on Champions League to recruit the way we once might have. I mean, look at some of the players that are going to Premier League clubs that have no possibility of being in the Champions League. I mean, Newcastle signed Bruno Guimaraes, and like I don't know where the resources are gonna come from them to build their project, but we'll see. Uh, no, so, so, so I, I think we can still get the players we want. I think we can still recruit appropriately. I, I will say this, look, it's time to be shown that this regime, if that's a word I can use, can add the pieces that make our attack better. That's my view there has been a little bit of a reluctance that I see, or maybe it's not a reluctance, maybe it's just where they're prioritizing. We haven't seen effective attacking recruitment particularly. I think we all like the Ozel. That's a a hell of a slip. The Odegaard deal.
5: Very George Bush of you. (laughs) Topical. (laughs)
4: Um, Yeah, anyway, we like the the guy who plays in the playmaker position, but I I think... um, Beyond that, obviously, it's been very hit or miss with what we've done in the attack. We maybe signed some players we wish we hadn't. We may have re-signed some players that it hasn't worked, and we haven't really recruited. Now, we've been very fortunate because we have some very talented young players, but they cannot, you can't ask 20- 20 and 21-year-olds to shoulder the whole load of scoring the goals that are needed. And I think when you look at the other lot, getting 37 goals and 15 assists from two players, you can see very clearly where there's plenty of room for us to make up those fine margins we talked about earlier. So what I want to see... I, I mean, Clive knows football. I don't know football, but I know we need to score goals. And, like, I just want to see us recruit attackers and be effective at improving the attack because that seems to be the most persistent issue for us. And, Paul, I know you agree with this take, so there, don't feel any need to weigh in on it. You whatsoever. and
6: your strikers needing to score goals, Elliot.
2: <laughs> I'm
4: a simple man with simple pleasures. That is so passe.
6: Apparently. Well, what's the what's the end
4: thing
2: now?
6: They just seem to arrive. Our goals. You you like you build you create. Oh, use the red thing. (laughs) I've got the wrong Ron Burgundy. I don't know what to do with my hands. I don't know what to do with my hands. (laughs) But yeah, look. I think we got a toothpaste thing going on. (laughs) No, 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 no. Hear me out. This is who had that on the bingo card. Toothpaste 2.0 on our recruitment. We've got a new session, a section for Clive on the podcast called Clive's Retail Therapy, where he goes out and talks about who we want to buy, keep him nice and calm. But I think what we're doing in terms of recruitment does actually mirror what we're doing in our football, building from the back. I don't really need to say too much beyond that. That's why you're going to hear about... Toothpaste 2.0 for the next year in terms of our recruitment. It was great having you as listeners, and you can go
4: back to (laughs) ourscast now, and we totally understand. We totally understand.
6: And it is a really interesting thing in terms of Champions League and Europa League, and there's a lot of hand-wringing, will we get the players? We really liked the six players we got last summer. And sometimes it's good if you can't get those players, and you have to go and look for quality players who can contribute within your budget. I also don't think, as you said, it's not like before with the budget, the players, etc. Like, the one thing you saw, if you read through the Chelsea uh, bid documentation is, the valuations for Chelsea are something like five to 10 billion over the next few years. Self, self-sustaining model doesn't make any sense if you want to be one of the clubs that's, like, I don't love that, and we don't want it to be about money, etc. But in the short term, they're going to keep investing. That's why, it's not a, that's why we don't hear a lot about, oh, we lost money during co- the COVID, the pandemic, that this, that, like, if they don't do what they need to do, they'll be, uh, and it's clear. There's an Somebody alignment. else will. <laughs> yeah, there's an alignment between ownership and our leadership of the club and the manager to some degree. And they've said, again, we're going to spend money.
3: A whole other podcast he's just opened up there, isn't he? Yeah, yeah but he is what he is. I think um, we have to be aware of our competitive landscape, but we shouldn't be afraid of it. You know, don't sit back there and think that we can't compete. You know, I, I think we can. It's all about making smart, intelligent decisions. And I think I know we're looking around thinking, "Oh my God, he's got money, he's got money, they've got money, they've got money." Well, we've got money, right? Um, and a few much enough in this money place, for a Hugo uh-huh. Boss shirt, <laughs> <laughs> There's enough merchandise being sold, and, and I'll tell you what, there's enough, and we just need to do it a bit smarter and and keep doing what we started out last year, which is rebuild properly. Don't be afraid. It's a rebuild that Manchester United are about to do, and we're a year or so ahead of them, and so we need to keep doing it because they will soon catch us up real quick with their revenue stream, So,
2: Tim, have you any thoughts on this? You know, when you think about um, this season and... and uh, where we are without some very key pieces missing from the team. Is that a thing to be encouraged about? Do we just bemoan the fact that we didn't have those pieces? Or is it like, okay, if they can do that again, I mean, part of getting better next season isn't just buying the players. It's maybe... Bakayo Saka being better, Gabriel Martinelli being better, uh, Emile Smith-Rowe being better, again, because of the age that they are in developing and, and becoming more influential in this team and then adding those other pieces that we need to do to sort of augment them. That is, for me anyway, is a real reason to be encouraged.
5: Yeah, definitely. And we talked about this last summer, didn't we? And I think all of those things happened. I think Gabriel Martinelli got better. I think Bakayo Saka got better. We were talking about can Emil Smith-Rowe get into double figures for goals? Yes, he can. He did. It's just we don't have that striker piece. Um, And so, like... I hate to sound like a broken record, I think so much is on that piece, I think everything we talk about, about Arsenal going behind and crumbling a little bit, and you know, the kind of the recruitment side I think it's all about goals I don't even think it's about it being a young team, I don't think it's about them being emotionally challenged when they go 1-0 down or anything like that I think it's just they don't have that reliable goal scorer and honestly, I think that will solve so many of the ills that we see in this team I really really do like all of the things that we thought maybe last summer like they're a distant memory now I can't even remember what we were talking about a year ago about like what do Arsenal need to do to improve and frankly this time last year I didn't even know like it felt like a complete Overwhelming, soup yeah. it was just like what the hell do we do with this lot and then all of a sudden we brought in these players and now it feels a bit more obvious. It's just like, yeah, maybe another midfielder here, definitely another forward, maybe another like wide forward or something like that. So I take a lot of encouragement from the fact that we can see the wood for the trees. But I think a lot of these kind of issues we're talking about now, honestly, I think they vanish with a goal scorer. I really do think that.
2: Yeah, I mean, Clive, you, you say it a lot, like if you have players in your team who can make the opposition think differently about you, then that, is, that changes the dynamic of so many games. Yeah,
3: and there's a saying, you're as good as your forwards, right? So when you got forwards that make people scared, they step away. And we saw what happened at Newcastle when they weren't scared. They stepped onto us, they pushed us back, they played areas they want to play, and we haven't got a way out of it. So we, the forward thing is a, is a big thing. And what we did at the start of the season was we focused on our ability to build play. And we were a wonderful build-up team through the thirds, transition goals, pretty, beautiful goals until the money months come. And when the money months come, you need people who can do it under pressure. And that's what we didn't quite have. We didn't quite have the people that could think clearly under pressure and execute. So yes, we focus on our build up from our back line, our goalkeeper all the way through. When we get squeezed, we haven't got those exits. And when we have those exits, we are going to have a cigar on. It's going to be so different, because when people go in, we can go over and around, and then we, can, we have the speed, the physicality to, to really push teams back. And what they'll do is say, we can't press them anymore. And suddenly we'll have control. It's a kinetic chain, but you've got to make people get away from you, and then you have control. When you have control, You can just enjoy the football, right? You literally can enjoy the football. So we're not quite at that stage yet where we can implement our game against the physical strongest teams for a consistent period of time. And if we don't score the first goal because we know we're at our physical and technical limit, we then drop. And I think that's the thing I'm looking for this year, to manage that, manage the, the adversities, the points in the season when we know we're not quite there if we can have that internal confidence I really see us going somewhere I really do, I really do. James do you have any
2: more thoughts on sort of recruitment or positions that maybe people aren't talking about um, we're all talking striker, we're all, we're all talking central midfielder but do you think there might be something else that they're looking at to... <laughs> do
1: you have any thoughts? <laughs> uh, yeah no I do, I, I think striker and central midfield are, are the big priorities but I think they are looking at other areas um Interestingly, I think centre-half will be on the agenda. Um, a lot of that will depend on the future of William Saliba, which obviously is uh, a heated... Uh... Avoid, avoid, avoid. avoid. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, a subject of uh, debate, shall we say, among <laughs> Arsenal fans. But I think even if without that, to be honest, on the left-hand side, you know, Pablo Marie went out on loan uh, to Nazi, I think, in all likelihood, will probably leave permanently in the summer. I think that somebody to support and challenge Gabrielle on that side of the defence is on the agenda Do you
3: have any thoughts James? I just thought I'd ask (laughs) Um, Have you got anyone in mind Clive? Um, I've got a couple Right here we Uh, go
1: (laughs) (laughs) But I I always do right? (laughs) (laughs) No go on Clive what's your um, your your wish list then?
3: Clive's
6: retail therapy kicking (laughs) off here
3: Well, so I I have this theory where you mustn't get fixated on players, right? Just get fixated on all the players, but not uh, just a few. But I I do agree with James. I do think centre-back is something we we may look at. I just have this feeling that that guy from France may never put on the shirt. I just got this feeling. There's a saying in business that time kills deals. It's been a long time. And I just feel the expectation when someone walks into a room could be too great. He might need a different room. You know, and so if he comes in and he, and he and trips over his feet, we're going to say, what's going on here? And if he's a brilliant player, we're going to say, what's going on here? You know, where's the success? You know, where is the success here? If you're managing that risk, you're going to say, you know what? Maybe I've now protected myself, protected the value of the player. I can replace that player with the money that will care. And there isn't the, dr- the drama around him playing. And that's a sad thing to say, right? but are you telling me, you guys, that we're, we're not investing that player and what he looks like? We all are, right? So, um, and so I think it's something that if I'm the club, I'm thinking, well, maybe we move away from that. There's always another player. There always is.
4: Can we just stop buying center backs? <laughs> just for me, I, can't, I don't, <laughs> don't enjoy the defensive side of the game.
2: <laughs> well, we'll have all summer all summer to uh, drive nothing. ourselves absolutely crazy uh, over transfers. Um, in part one, uh, we are going to take an interval now in just a few minutes because uh, it gives you a chance to go upstairs and, and get a drink, and we'll do part two in, in a little while. But I did want to talk to Tim about uh, a season for, for Arsenal women as well uh, under a new manager. Um, how, do, how do you view this season? Obviously, the margins, very tight, one bad result. Uh, Had a very significant impact on, on the way that the season ended up. But is there much to be encouraged about? And uh, you know, in your view, based on, you know, everything that you've seen this season, can they take that next step next season?
5: Yeah, Andrew said this won't take long, and it won't. Only about sixty to ninety minutes. Um, So can we bring up? Can we bring up the PowerPoint? (laughs) And uh, close the exits. No, obviously they finished one point off the title, right, in the WSL and uh, the cruel irony here is they lost one game in the league this season and they lost it to the team who finished bottom of the league and were relegated with two games to go. Um, But in terms of taking the next step, I definitely think they can. They persuaded players like Leah Williamson to sign a new deal. They persuaded Vivian Miedema to sign a new deal. Yeah, huge news, huge news that. And, uh, and for Viv as well, like, um, you know, for her, she had to make a choice between like a team like Barcelona where you can probably win the Champions League, but she's very settled in London, loves the WSL. Um, well, I, I think they were losing <laughs> before we came on, yeah. Um, which might have, you know, justified her decision even more. Um, don't join those losers, stay with us. <laughs> Um, But yeah, I I, I really, really think they can. I really think they can. After a couple of seasons where things had maybe gone a little bit stale, they do feel like on a different trajectory. Completely different style of play this season. New manager in Jonas. I've loved Jonas. Not just the style of play. um, His press conferences are brilliant. Um, I'm going to say this. Like, these aren't his words. I think he hates Chelsea. And I love that. I love that. That's like... (laughs) That, that to me is a fantastic sign of character in a person and I've seen it shine through him this season. It's brilliant because he says things about them and people get upset and he doesn't give a shit and it's brilliant. Um, but yeah, like I, I, think in a, I, I think in a sentence they can, they can go... Like the full way next season, they were only one point off this season, um, but I think they really need to win a trophy of some sort next year. Even if it's not the league, they haven't won a trophy in three years, which for Arsenal Women is that's a massive, massive drought for Arsenal Women. So they need to kind of fix that next season, definitely.
2: All right. Well, look, we are going to take a a short little break here. This is the interval. People are running off to the bar already. Look at those guys. Charging through go. the midfield. Yeah. So these, it is-
1: these are the people who leave before half time in the Emirates. <laughs> Gonna miss the best bit.
4: All right, it- now that they're gone, we can break some transfer news here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: Make them feel like they've missed a goal or something like that. Uh, there you go! <laughs> Should have brought the doorbell music as well. <laughs> All right. Well, look. We're going to be uh, we're going to be back here for a little while. We will come back. We've got loads in part two. Don't forget. Send your questions to the Twitter account at ArsVision Live. We'll pick some of your questions. We're going to do uh, Q and A. We're going to do some of our favourite bits from the season as well in kind of quick fire format. We'll do some more of your questions. We've got giveaways. Um,
4: yeah, and just to be clear, that's not a hashtag. you just have to mention the account and yeah. I'll see it and we'll we'll get the questions flowing. Soon. At
2: Ars Vision Live. Okay, look, we'll see you in part two right after this. Welcome back. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, We've got a lot of stuff to do in part two, but uh, James, you know, part two, traditionally, this is where we do the uh, instant reaction to part one. That's right. So could I ask you for your stop rising? Cease and desist.
1: (laughs) Stop rising for me. Uh, It's got to be Clive. Guys... I know you think his stock couldn't have risen any higher but I've got to tell you guys he smells amazing
3: (laughs) (laughs) did did you Um, see his t-shirt as well
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and stock falling I mean it feels cruel but at the end of the day if you can't use a microphone (laughs) maybe podcast is not for
2: you yeah. <laughs> Alright, we have got some amazing prizes to give away to you this evening So you all should have a, a raffle ticket uh, My lovely assistant James here is going to uh, do, the, do the honors So the first thing that we're giving away tonight is a signed shirt The entire Arsenal squad have signed this shirt Andrew, do you mind if I just
4: say... Th- Thank you to Rob for bringing all the stuff tonight. Absolutely, and thank you to yeah. Rob
2: from Arsenal for thank you for, <laughs> for everything for being so generous. Thank you.
1: Okay, so tickets are the ready, guys. So I'm looking for a number three eight eight.
2: Yes, hey. yes. this man come up and grab it.
1: And well done, Andrew, for remembering to check that guy's ticket. I would have just given it away. (laughs) So anyone else, just walk up. Take a chance. (laughs) Honest face.
2: (laughs) All right, the next thing we have is a signed Arsenal ball. Okay. Which we could just throw in the crowd now and do, like, headers and... (laughs) What could go
1: wrong? Yeah. I'm looking for number 55.
2: Ooh.
1: Hey! Right here.
4: Now, before you get too excited, that ball was used for a Nuno Tavares throw in. Do <laughs> you <laughs> still? Uh,
1: okay, we've got some more prizes here. We have got this is the new Arsenal shirt in a women's cut. Now, I have, I'm reliably informed there are at least six women here tonight. Uh, <laughs> Unfortunately, we don't know what their raffle ticket numbers are. So, you know, you may have to re-gift this. Let's see how this goes. OK, we're looking for... ..a number... Oh, it's low again. 43. Yeah, OK. Hey. This gentleman has a beautiful figure. It may well fit.
2: Uh, okay. he, he just said, my wife will be so happy. There we go. I don't think he was joking.
1: No. Okay, these guys, this is a pair of goalkeeping gloves signed by Arsenal goalkeeper Aaron Ramsdale.
0: Woo!
1: Okay. So... When you're handling
6: the Christmas dinner or Thanksgiving, whatever, <laughs> and you got the turkey and it's hot.
1: <laughs> and you drop it. <laughs> uh, and you dro- <laughs> drop it. Okay. And the winner is number 272.
2: 272, are you out two, there? 272.
1: We're going to give you about 10 seconds. Hey!
2: Oh, my goodness. Oh, my God.
1: Oh, they're a long way away.
2: <laughs> Stay there. It'll take you about 10 minutes to get down.
1: Yeah. Come and we'll, get it at the end.
2: We'll figure it out afterwards. Congratulations.
1: Congratulations.
0: <laughs> okay. Last that two That wasn't Burn
5: Leno, was it? Huh? <laughs> that wasn't Burn Leno, was it?
1: The one <laughs> awkward. Um... Last two. These are both uh, men's home shirts. The new shirts for next season. Okay, brand new.
2: Brand awesome. new.
1: So, two winners. We're looking for five eleven. Why
6: do you keep Why making he... that noise? You Why did you think you were going to win?
2: <laughs> he's number five. Every oh, he's time. Number he's five, going.
5: and One I keep starting it with
6: 5 Five. Five. You're not going to l- like
2: the next ticket either. Do we have 5.11 anywhere? Hey! Hey! There you
6: You see, that's what a winner looks like. Okay.
1: And the final winner, men's home shirt. Number five.
4: After
1: that, 8.5. <laughs> <laughs>
6: You're a bad man, James McNicholas.
2: 585. 585. Up in the corner again. Up there? Okay. Stay there. Stay we'll there. get you come, afterwards. S-
1: come and see me at the end.
2: Okay. Yeah. We, we actually have one more prize to give away. Um, oh, my. Do we really? Yes, <laughs> we do. Yeah, so you're going to have to dig your hand in there and swirl okay. it around again, James. So what is the prize, Andrew? Uh, the prize is two tickets... For tomorrow's game in club level. Okay. And. No, that's it, two tickets for <laughs> club level. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Just pick one without a five, though. Yeah, okay. This guy's gonna I know, go I crazy. <laughs> okay. Three, eight, one. Three, eight, one. Three A one. (laughs) Three A one.
4: Going once. Three A one. We've got
3: nothing to give it.
2: Seems Woo! to have gone without a hitch. Great. Right. All right. So well, congratulations to uh, to everybody who won a prize this evening, and thank you, uh, thank you to James for his wonderful ticket picking. It's one of the uh, most underrated aspects of your career. <laughs> That's a bit harsh, I think. <laughs> we were trying to be nice. <laughs>
6: There are better odds of us making uh, Champions League tomorrow than you guys ever had of winning a raffle (laughs) Uh,
2: We are going to do Q&A in part two of the show, as we normally do. And the man with the questions, and the man who's going to take the mic and ask those questions is sitting over there on the left. It's Elliot. Where are we beginning? And what are we doing? Well... Let's start with a happy topic, Thomas Party's injury.
4: John Felgate at John Felgater, uh John Felgate 1966 asks, Clive, would we have gotten the points needed if Party was fit?
3: That's a stupid question, isn't it?
4: <laughs> John, where are you, John? John, it's a stupid question. Now I'm partly to blame for that, but would you
3: like to rephrase the answer? Um, I no? Think, I think maybe. I think maybe. I, I think... Well, he's an interesting signing, isn't he? I think when he came in, we had many debates on the podcast about his value and his cost, etc. But for me, he's the type of player that we need to progress the ball. And, um, and I think we've missed him. Um, we've noticed it recently, more so than when, um, when he first went out, because then he did a decent job. But when it comes to the crunch, when it comes to the big boys... You need your men out there, right? And he's a man that makes people step back. And I think we've missed him. I think other teams know it. And they squeeze on. And I, I think he's a major miss. I wish we had another one like him. Do you know what I mean? That's, that's the key for me. So, um, but it's, it's, a, it's a recruitment that I like. Cause for those that know me, <laughs> that's the sort of player that I like. But, um, yeah, I think it's a major, major miss. And he needs a summer sitting there with his Factor 50 on, just relaxing to come back for, for next year. Right, That's what he really needs. So, yeah, definitely we missed him.
4: Fair enough. I think you answered it really well. I, it turns out it feels like a really good question in, in hindsight. Yeah, really good question. Who's, whose um,
3: question was that? <laughs> yeah.
4: Um, okay. So there's so many transfer questions, obviously. Um, I know your love for transfers, but I will not ask you the transfer question, unfortunately. Uh, James, how about we give you this one? Um, from Alfie Steiner, at, that sums it all up, where the it looks like it's got a one in it. You get the idea. It's Twitter. How high would you go for Gabriel Jesus, or any striker for that matter? What sort of price bracket? The striker market looks a little bit
1: overheated from a value standpoint. So what do you, what do you think? Sounds a lot, doesn't it? I mean, the reporting suggests City are looking for about 50 million quid, which for any player with 12 months left on their deal um, sounds like a lot. But you've got to remember... Money isn't really of any consequence to Man City. So uh, they may feel they'd rather hold the player. Um, I think what will be really interesting is that when you look at the centre forward market in Europe and you're looking at the top strikers, the goal scorers, I'm not sure there is much value that exists. I think to get a, a premium quality striker, you've got to pay a premium price almost irrespective of the contractual situation. And I think Arsenal probably know that and probably have budgeted accordingly. They're probably going into this summer thinking, we're going to have to drop probably at least 50 million quid on a striker. minimum." So, where would I go? I mean, I, I, they think he's the guy. And they think he's a brilliant fit. And it's not just his goal threat, um, because his finishing, you know, I think can be a bit hit and miss, but it's what he does off the ball, um, I think his Brazil manager called him the best pressing forward in the world, something Guardiola said as well, and I think that that would be a big factor. Where would I go? I mean, I feel like if you get it into sort of 30 million quid, like, that feels all right to me. But 50, it does sound steep, even with all that context. So, yeah, I think anything above 40, I'd be really thinking, City have really had us over a
2: barrel there. But, does, I mean, does it really matter if he's the player that they want and they think he's well, a great fit?
1: yeah, and, 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 you know, this Arsenal had a similar situation, again, without the contractual position, but with Ben White, where he was the player they wanted, and Brighton said he's 50 million quid. And Arsenal went in three or four times below that price. And when it came to it, they bit the bullet. They bit the bullet, to a certain extent, on Ramsdale. You know, they paid big-ticket prices for these players. And... To a certain extent, Arsenal have shown their hand as well, that they're prepared to do that. So I think it will be a difficult negotiation with City, and it wouldn't surprise me if it, if it happens, if it does come with a really high ticket value.
5: Can I just say, when Arsenal sign Brazilian players, like the going's quite good for me, so I think that Arsenal should go to Push whatever the boat it yeah. takes to get this player?
4: Fair enough. Seems as good a reason as any. Yeah. Can, that's the smart recruitment we're looking for, yeah. Exactly. Andrew, I'll fire a question your way if you're okay with that. Sure. Um, any concerns over reports of Saka's new contract containing a release clause? And just generally, the fact that this is probably the summer that that contract will be in the spotlight. So do you have any concerns about getting that done or where the future may go
2: there? Um, it depends how big the release clause is. If it's absolutely massive, then that gives you a little bit of security, doesn't it? But he is the... He's obviously the star with two years left on his deal. I know it feels like we've talked about this a lot. Uh, You know, as a football club, this is where we've got to make the decisions and make sure we tie these players down. But, yeah, I mean, it's impossible not to be a little bit concerned simply because of um, how easy it is to look at how badly it could go, you know? But he looks to me like a guy who loves playing for this club, he's grown up here, he's playing with his mates, he's part of something that is growing and developing, and he's developing as a player as well, so uh, James might know a little bit better than me, but I do know, believe his agent can be a bit of a tricky guy to deal with at times, so that could be... Nothing on there?
4: Oh, shame, the mic went out. (sighs) (laughs) (laughs) Bad luck, James.
2: But yeah, look. If we got him tied down to a new deal, I think it would be a huge, a huge thing for the football club. And if it comes with a big release clause, if that's what we have to do to get him tied down, then I guess that's just part and parcel of the way football works these days.
4: Tim, let me just ask you, following on from that, can a player be so big that a club can't afford to lose them? Just in terms of what they mean to the fans, their connection to the project. Tm, um, the idea that you know, there's some theory out there that every player has a price and that if that price is offered, you should take it. But do you think it's possible that a player like Saka in this instance can mean so much to a club in a moment that there really isn't a compensation for that player that makes it worth moving them on?
5: That's quite an interesting question in light of the Kylian Mbappe news that's interesting. coming yeah. out. Yeah, that's right. Um, sorry, Julianne, uh, <laughs> Or maybe not, actually, <laughs> considering your allegiances, but um, probably for Arsenal, to be honest, probably not, because in Clive's words, there are always other players out there. Um, I, I really, really think we should be able to get Saka to this contract, you know. If he was 25 or 26, then, you know, there may be like a big part that you think, thinks, OK, if you go to Manchester City or someone like that. But, you know, when he's, what, is he 20, 21, kind of we should be able to get him to this contract. I, I, I think you're right in terms of the release clause. I'm sure there'll be a release clause in there. It just depends what size it is and whether that's palatable to us, not not just now, but in terms of the player he could be in two or three years because there might be a price that looks good now, but, you know, 24-year-old Saka like, might look like quite a different player. Um, I, I mean, to be honest, no, because... I've seen us sell big, big players in the past and survive, quite frankly. Maybe not thrive, but survive. So I, I don't think there is a player that you can just, like, draw the line under and say there is no price for
3: which we can sell them. Yeah, I, I, can't, I can't keep your mouth shut, right? So, like, um, I, think, I think all of us feel anxious about the signings, right? That anxiety is... People are feeding on it. And that's why the prices are rising. When we're trying to sell, no no one's throwing money at us. Do you know what I mean? But when we want to buy, suddenly things are creeping up. We have to lose that anxiety. People know we want to recover our status, and they are feeding on it. They are feeding on us, and they're making our rebuild slower. We have to lose it as a club and have a level of assurance that we can go and find somebody else. We mustn't get fixated. And I, I love Jesus as well. I really like him. But so what? There'll be somebody else I haven't seen before that will come out of the woodwork. We have to lose that anxiety because we're being played. We are being played when it comes to selling. We're being played when it comes to buying. And at some point, you've got to hold your line. And what the club has done, I feel, they've focused on rebuilding their identity, rebuilding what they stand for, rebuilding their connectivity to you guys, and the players and everything, the club is connected. And that means if you're looking from the outside, you can say, I know what they stand for, not just players, but commercially. I can see their identity and we have to buy into that and that have to continue. So we've got to lose the anxiety, otherwise we're going to get played and our rebuild will be slower. So I, I, I'm nervous too, right? But shut it down. There's always other players out there. Trust me, trust me.
4: I I got to say, I think if you come out of your shell, you could really analyze the game. I think they may have a future in that. Yeah. Um, Paul, a couple of questions about tomorrow. I mean, there still is a game tomorrow, and the irony is there's so much focus on um, the, the good thing that's going to happen at Norwich that a lot of people haven't bothered to focus on uh, what we actually need to do. And Sam O'Connor asks, is Lacazette starting tomorrow? Um, I think the, the lineup tomorrow is, is an interesting choice to make, and up front, he's got two strikers who maybe may or may not be playing their, their last game for the club, so how do you think it might handle that?
6: Well, I think screw sentiment, because if Norwich do the unthinkable, and we don't do what we need to do, uh, I don't think Arteta wants to be holding that press conference. No. Um, so... The real question, I guess... um, Well, maybe it's that question. The real question is, who's the better striker right now for Arsenal at this moment in time? Eddie's in play. He's done good. He certainly hasn't done anything to deserve dropping. Um, I could see... I mean, when we have brought Lacazette on, we've kept Eddie on as well. It's not like... For the most part, anyway. It's not like he subs Eddie off. Um, I think you go, like... There are certain things that are working that are working, don't change them. We, we have other areas of the pitch where is we have issues, we have challenges. In this particular game, I think we'll have plenty of the ball, and Eddie's a finisher. Uh, we'll play like assuming things go reasonably well, we'll be playing in their third, we'll be creating. Um, and Eddie's the guy. Um, so. And I've always liked Eddie mm-hmm. and he's you, left you have a little made that late position for us known. He's, he's made it very difficult and it'd be very interesting to see what his story might be. Obviously, it looks like it's time for him to leave, maybe time for us to let him go and get two other strikers, but he's certainly made it a really interesting conversation, even if it's a little too late. But yeah,
4: Tim, I feel like you want to I'm jump in. Eddie.
5: I was going to say, I think we probably need one of them at center back anyway. So <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> Both end up playing.
4: <laughs> yeah. There was a question about that, but there's no answer to it, so I won't ask it. Um, there's another question just saying, what is the percentage of the miracle happening tomorrow? But obviously it's 100%, so <laughs> there is no need to go into that any further. I will ask a question for you, Elliot. Oh, thank you. I'm excited to answer it. Uh, this comes from Lee Hurst who says, why do you think we lose a lot of players on free transfers rather than get a fee for them when we've decided they're no longer needed? Teams around us sell squad players for a fee often, but we don't seem to be able to get a fee from any of these players. I think it's a brilliant question, personally. Um... I do think this is one area where, so even if you believe that the money has grown in the game and grown in the Premier League and that we have more resources than maybe in the past, the problem is when you make mistakes on contracts you hand out or players you buy, you tie yourself to those players. And there are squad rules, right? You can only register so many players. And you do put yourself in a position where extricating yourself from those mistakes is not only expensive and difficult, but it jams up the process. Right? And you find yourself with players a manager doesn't trust or doesn't want. And then you have to make the difficult decision. Do we move them on at a loss or for free? Give them away, pay their contracts to go away, so we can free up that squad position? Well, you can do that for a while, but eventually the resources will catch up with you, right? And if you're making those decisions a lot, someone is going to come back to you and say, Hey, I notice a lot of the players you signed and bought are players you don't actually want and are leaving for free, like why is that happening? So. While I I think an over-fixation on resources can be a mistake, because we have plenty of them and we saw how much we spent last summer, I do think we need to be a little sharper in thinking about how much we spend on which players, on what contracts, recognizing that if you aren't, you wind up with a player you maybe would like not to have any longer, which means you can't go get a player that makes you a little a little better in the process. Andrew, you're nodding, which I assume means you have a different view on this. No, no, no. I was just <laughs> thinking about what you said
2: before the podcast about, you know, the whole three-minute monologue thing. It was great.
4: That was like <laughs> <at, at laughs> 225 at the most. <laughs> and
5: that question came from at Yankee Gunner? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How would you know you have him blocked on
2: Twitter? Um, <laughs> We'll do one more, Elliot, and then we'll okay. do our bits of the season and come back and do some questions oh afterwards. There's, them. There's
4: so many, but I, I, there's one that I, I do want to ask Clive because I'm interested in it, um, and I, I could scroll around and look for it, but it's an easy question to ask, so I apologize for not reading out your name. But basically, if there's one academy player that you think could come in next season and be a meaningful part of the team, um, you know, with Europa League, obviously that may be more likely to happen. Is there someone you have your eye on that could maybe fill a void unexpectedly or, or make a splash that we wouldn't necessarily be thinking of?
3: I think it's more important that those academy players go out on loan, if I'm honest with you. Right? Mm. So, you don't see one ready to step uh, in. I, I look at Amari Hutchison, for example, and I think he's a real talent. He needs to play against men. Aziz needs to play against men. Uh, I think they are two you know, good players. I, I, I don't see it. I, I obviously, the one everyone knows, and it just happens to be from... He played for a team that I sort of grew up in that area, and it's Charlie Bettina. who come from... He came from Luton into Arsenal. I think he grew up in like Watford. And um, he's a very talented player. A very talented player. And has been recognised. He's been on the England track for a long time. He just needs to get a David Lloyd membership, right? He's, but it's all trapped in his... <laughs> everything's trapped in his body. And he's, he's grown quickly. He's quite tall. And he looks willowy. But the way he receives the ball, the way he moves the ball, the pictures that he sees... it would be interesting to see what they do with him, Where they have him sitting behind Odegaard as that player, where he is in his physicality, but eventually he will sit at the base of the team when he grows up and gets those man hormones kick in. I think he's, he's one to watch. I know you all know about it, but genuinely, 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 people that know the game way better than us absolutely rave about him, hmm. absolutely rave about him. It's hard to see it when he's, when he's trapped, when he's so young but on the technical side, he's top. So he'd be one, I'm interested to see what happens next year. I don't think they'll loan him. I think they'll feed him in minutes in Europe. I think that's where he will be the one I would pick, basically.
4: And when those man hormones kick in, you know there's a product that we can direct him to. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah,
3: yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <Why>?
2: <laughs> it's what I do. I oh, don't know. You did it well. You did it well. So we're going to do a little bit of quick fire here uh, and some moments of the season that we were going to talk about. And one of the first... The first category was going to be player of the season, but we didn't want six people just to say, but Saka. Osaka, so, um, Plus, we're trying to keep that release clause down. So, <laughs> so we're going to do... you mean up. Favorite player. Yeah, up, up is good. Up is
6: better. I don't do the
2: contract, so... <laughs> Paul, I'll start with you. Who's, who's your favorite player of the season? Uh,
6: oh, besides... Uh, uh, gonna, microphone, go, microphone, Paul. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go with Odegaard. I think... <laughs> I think we're, many people are still trying to work... Like, I think everybody's worked out he's really good when he's good. The question is, when he's not good, is that him? Is it the team? Is it... I think he's always good. I think he always shows. It's just we're not the team all the time he needs around him to show his stuff. His vision of the game, his pictures. um, Like you see players who scan when they're in possession. He scans when he's out of possession. He scans when he's pressing, defending. Like Like he's basically Arteta in the attacking third of the team. Maybe Ben White in the defensive side. Maybe Party and Chaka share that understanding of what we're supposed to be doing in the middle of the pitch.
2: just going to pick all the players? <laughs> <laughs> leave us with nothing. I, I don't like to leave players out. How
4: come I get uh, called out on my three-minute monologue? I mean, what's going
2: on here? I've been kicking him for about a minute under the table. You should Nobody be a Premier see. League
4: referee. I mean, you know.
2: <laughs> Anyway,
6: Odegaard is the schiznitz. <laughs> succinctly stated. Elliot, who's your player of the season? Mine.
4: Yeah. Oh, this is the redemption moment I've been waiting for. I'm so excited. I'm going to pick Thomas Party.
2: <laughs> hey.
4: Yeah. Um, I look at it this way there was one period of the season where I think we played the kind of football that really inspired me to believe we could be on the right path to something special. And it was when he really took over in that lone central midfield role in the 4-3-3. I thought he was brilliant, and I don't think we've ever looked that good when he wasn't at his dominant best, and I don't think we've ever looked as good since he was out of the team. So for me, the football I love this season was led by Thomas Partey, which is why I was probably one of the
2: biggest cheerleaders for that signing from start. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we, we're all aware of that. Thank right, you Clive? That. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. James. Nah, nah. <laughs> James, your player of the season.
1: Yeah, I picked Odegaard as well, and I would second everything Paul said. Just, you know, I spoke about the fans being back in the stadium, and he's one of those players who he elicits a certain type of response from supporters. He, there have been moments where you've had gasp, but you've also had that kind of like smug ripple through 60,000 people of like, oh, this guy is good. <laughs> and I've been one of them. And so, yeah, he's been a pleasure to watch.
3: All right, Clive. I'm going to pick someone slightly off, off B, and I think. If you think about what we've done this year, it's been about how we've built up from the back and how we've moved our team forward, right? And the major defensive signing has been Ben White. And... Uh, and um I, I don't think we play in the areas we want to play if it's not for him. So Odegaard doesn't get the ball if it's not for him. I think everything starts with him. And what I like about him, although he looks like a, a Love Island contestant, right? Um, he... What, but but he doesn't play like one. He really doesn't play like one. (laughs) 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 I didn't realise how obvious that sounded. (laughs) But he doesn't play like one. And I, I look at I always judge people in adversity. When there's adversity in the team, I see him. I see him smashing into people, really, really working hard. And I, I think we've got a player in our hands. I really think we've got a player in our hands. That could be a major player for his club. And I know everyone thinks Odegaard's going to be the skipper. If I was making a choice, he'd be the guy I would choose. Absolutely he'd be the guy I choose. <laughs> yeah. Tim, you're a player of the season.
5: Yeah, sure. Uh, I'm going to go for Emil Smith Rowe um, as my favorite player of the season. And the reason I'm going to do that is because I really enjoy being right. And. Uh, <laughs> 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 <Yeah>. <laughs> and and our, on our podcast last year, I was saying he's not a number ten; he's a wide forward, and he scores goals because that's what I saw in the youth team. And I've really enjoyed being proved right about that. Um, but also, like when I talked about earlier, like I couldn't really remember what we were talking about last summer. One thing we did talk about was Emil Smith Rowe taking the number ten, and there was a kind of ooh, that's even Arteta said, or like you know, I'd rather someone take something they're not quite ready for. And we're not talking about that now, are we? We stopped talking about that a long time ago, about him taking the number 10, and it's because he's taken that responsibility and he's understood, okay, I've come in the team, but I've not arrived yet. I need to score goals, and he's scored goals. And, uh, yeah, I I think he's been brilliant this season, so ESR
2: for me. Cool. Um, I'm glad you you guys left me someone, and I'm going to pick Takahiro Tomiyasu. Yeah! Um, Darn, I wish I'd picked that one. That yeah. one was popular. Well, you nearly do. you picked almost everyone else, so it's <laughs> Um I know he's been injured, and I think he's been a big miss when he's injured, but uh, you know, I, I love a defender who A loves to defend and B crucially knows how to defend, rather than just sort of point at the guy next to him and say this is your fault so I think he's fantastic and he's, he's just a real presence in this team so he's my guy um, goal of the season um, Elliot I know you really really love this particular one
4: yeah it's my favorite because I have no memory for memories but uh, I am going to pick one that wasn't a big goal but was a goal I just enjoyed it involved your player of the season Tomiyasu, lifting the ball over defender to Martinelli on the right hand side Balling uh, pass keeper in... Sorry, I'm going to say it. The, a Newcastle game. Um, and, yeah, I, I just thought picturesque... It was a picturesque goal from a player sure. that I have uh, a lot of affection for.
2: James, your goal of the season.
1: Uh, well, I was trying to a bit different and just a bit niche, but I loved Emile Smith-Rowe's goal against Chelsea. The lawn bowls shot <laughs> into the far corner. It was just sort of, like, aesthetically... Beautiful, really. So, yeah, I pick that.
3: Clive, uh, again, I'm, I think I feel a bit weird, right? But I actually, the moment for me, the goal that made me think, feel exhilarated, was Saka's against Man City at home, right? <laughs> and the, the reason why, at that period, we were playing football that I never thought we could ever play, and that was like a crowning moment. He just swept it in. It's like, is this really happening? And then Granite Xhaka arrived, and it wasn't happening. <laughs> but I felt that moment was... That goal was beautifully created. It was, it was a style we played, and it represented our ceiling, where we could be if everything was right. So hold on to that moment, because we're going we're gonna to have that again. Trust me, that's, that's my goal.
2: Paul? Uh,
6: so there's the South Ham- first Southampton game, I think it was, like, December 11th or something like that, we beat them 3-0... We'd played well up to this point, but in bursts uh, in other games, ten minutes, fifteen minutes, um, and we score our first goal in that one. Is Ra- uh, Ramsdale g- almost gets caught, which pulls them in, and we played up our right hand side through uh, Party, Tommy Yasu, um, Odegaard, I think, and then Saka sweeps it in to Lacazette, who uh, buries it in the net. And it's nice to mention one Lacazette goal in... The, get it on record. The one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah the school and it was a back to front. It's kind of how we thought we might score great goals. And it, for me, it was almost a bookmark for when we started playing the good football a
2: lot, game in, game out. Yeah, good one. Uh, mine is, I like the Martinelli goal uh, against Watford with the, the quick throw in. And the one-touch Odegaard thing, Lacazette layoff, Martinelli in the top corner. And part of the reason I really like it is because Mikel Arteta was way out of his technical area. And I imagine that Richard Keyes hated it. So uh, I think that's what does that one
5: for me. Tim? Yeah, my goal of the season is actually uh, Katie McCabe against Aston Villa at Villa Park.
3: Um, yeah.
5: Yeah, uh, for those who haven't seen it, a 40-yard lob that landed so perfectly it hit like the little bit of piping that holds the net down, and the ball jumped straight back out. But the other reason I'm choosing it is because I know Katie a bit, and if I don't choose it, she will punch me, and <laughs> and it will hurt. So Katie McCabe, all right.
1: <laughs> all
2: right. I'm skip along um. Let me stay with you, Tim, and ask you for your moment of the season.
5: Yeah, sure. Same venue, actually, Villa Park. Um, The final whistle when the men's team this time beat Aston Villa uh, 1-0 back in March. And the reason I've chosen that is because, you know, all season we've all felt this kind of connection building with the team and with the players, and we like the players again and things like that. But that final whistle at Villa Park, for the first time everyone I think, coalesced around the manager as well. And maybe I'm just reading too much into, like, a chant coming to life that day, but it really, really felt forceful and significant that when the players came over, the manager came over, and that was the first time you really heard the kind of we've got Mikel Arteta Chant, and it was the first time I really felt, oh wow, like I'd always felt Arteta was almost like a neutral background figure to all this, but it was the first time I felt like, oh wow, like people actually like this manager. So, yeah, I think that was a very interesting
2: moment. Um, I'm going to pick Aaron Ramsdale's save against Leicester, um, which. Again, I think beyond being just an amazing piece of of athleticism and a a brilliant save, and it really annoyed Jamie Vardy and Brendan Rodgers, you know, that game, that 2-0 win over Leicester, after a relatively difficult start to the season, felt like something more, and that save was part of it. That save was part of this connection that has uh, been growing all season, but it, it felt really tangible
3: for the first time then, so... Um, Clive, what have you got as a moment of the season? Yeah, it's a, a bit of a connection thing as well. I, the one for me is, was Wolves at home when Lacazette scored. I, I tell you, for those who were there, that was a that was a moment you won't forget. I don't know why, it's just a Wolves at home, right? But, um, but we came back, saw two quick goals, and you felt everybody so invested in getting that second goal, that first goal, and making sure we didn't lose. And, uh, yeah, there was lots of hugging the strangers, lots and lots. And there was singing in the club level, I will tell you. (laughs) Uh, I was singing in the club level. You never see that, trust me. So, um, so, yeah, that was my moment of the season. All right, Paul, what's your moment of the season?
6: Uh, It's a bit random, but the Bukayo Saka penalty against Chelsea, um, I thought it was significant for a couple of reasons. Yeah, no, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, they, pick, they clap for my things, too, sometimes. Uh, yeah, why don't you say you like puppies and kittens next? You'll get a clap for that, too. <laughs> so, as Piliqueta is pissed and he starts making those really annoying faces, he's the most annoying person in football, and I hate him, so that was good. But, of course, the main reason was, like, this was kind of a, a uh, coming-out moment for Bukayo Because he wins the penalty, and immediately, he doesn't even blink, he runs to get the ball, and Martinelli's, but, like, I'm supposed to take the (laughs) penalty, and Saka's like, screw off, I'm taking the penalty. He buries it, he gets a penalty. The next game, I think, against United, he buries that to the other side, and he's saying, I am unruffled, Mm -hmm. I am the man. I think he's a really good shot at being an England captain, whenever that Harry Kane's... (laughs) Uh, ankles finally snap and I think Gareth Southgate loves him and will continue to love him and despite all of that talent that England has in the front area, I think he knows what he's got in Saka. I thought that was a huge mental moment. He knew what he wanted to do.
5: Can I just say someone took a video of me in Stamford Bridge when that penalty went in and if it ever got outside, like my private WhatsApp groups, my career would be over. <laughs> <laughs> You've seen it. <laughs>
2: James.
1: What is it? Is it match or
5: moment? Moment. moment I skipped match because, skip because I match. felt
2: like it's just going Because we're on.
4: rambling. <laughs> you can just say it. You skipped it because we're rambling. By the way,
1: uh, Clive said everyone who was at the Wolves game will remember it. I wasn't at the Wolves game but I will always remember it because that was when, during a show, a man walked on stage, (laughs) (laughs) bent into my ear, and said, Arsenal 2-1, Lacazette 95th minute winner. So thank you to that guy, wherever he is. Um, My moment is, actually, Wolves away, um, ground out the win with the 10 men, but my particular experience of it was that I was in the away end in front of a box full of (laughs) <laughs> oh, the angriest Wolves fans you've ever seen. And it was sensational, to be honest, watching the Arsenal fans turn around and give them some real, you know, not very kind gestures. Uh, and seeing this man go, honestly, the deepest, darkest red you have ever seen. Uh, uh, this Wolves fan turned bright Arsenal red. And it was hysterical. Um, so yeah, that was my highlight of the season.
2: All right, it's good. I mean, we, we haven't had enough uh, enjoying the misery of others throughout this night. So let's get to our, our villain of the season. I don't get a moment? Oh, you do get a moment. I'm very sorry. Well, it's good, because I, I pivoted last
4: minute since he picked the one I was going to pick. So I just want to say, and it's somewhat self-serving, that my moment of the season is this, right now. Oh, um, you, you showman. Uh, um, and just... 30 seconds on that is just that. First of all, I can't express how surreal it is to be here, for you all to be here, to be sharing the stage with someone I wouldn't be doing this with if it weren't for what you've written and recorded all these years. And so... This is going, not just a moment of the season, a moment of my life. And, and you're all a part of that, whether you meant to be or not, or you're here for Andrew and James. But, but so, yeah, this is, this is one that I'll remember forever. And, and the fact that everyone still came, despite maybe the football not being exactly where we hoped it would be right now, just shows there's a lot more to all of us than what happens in the 90 minutes. So,
2: thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Okay, we are doing Villain of the Season, though. We are not going to miss that. Everyone
4: here tonight, and it's beginning.
2: (laughs) And the next one's called Wonderwall.
5: (laughs) Uh, Tim, you're on. Who's your Villain of the Season? My Villain of the Season is the Celebration Police. Um, (laughs) Don't celebrate that too much, please. Um, All of the, like, generally, I'm quite good at ignoring, like, idiots on the internet I think but like the reason I can't ignore this is because I think it genuinely poisons the discourse and I think every single person who's like oh they're celebrating like, they won the like all of those people can just fuck all the way <laughs> off because like Because football's about being happy. Like, if you can't find moments of happiness in life in general, like, you know, find every moment of happiness you can, and particularly in football, and anyone who seeks to take that away, just fuck off and go away, quite frankly. Apologies for the fruity language. (laughs) I won't apologize for the fruity language. You're not needed, you're not wanted, go away, talk about something else, leave the rest of us. Thank you. Yeah,
2: spot on. Spot on. Paul, do you want to give me a villain of the season?
6: Yeah, it's kind of a quirky one. Um, it's not That's really a, a pers- surprise. <laughs> <laughs>
2: all
6: right, um, it's it's that psychological state that happens after we lost the first three games of the season, and this thing we humans do—we all do it—this rush to judgment, a final decision. There's 35 games to go. And it's not just at Arsenal. It's just, like, it's the human thing that we've got to have an answer. We've got to have a decision now. We just bought, brought in six young players to play for this manager. We're just developing our style of football. And, like, we've got to find a way to keep the door open to possibilities because that's the absolutely amazing thing about sport, about football and it bleeds into life in general. The possibilities that things can be turned around and what happened after that I think was kinda beautiful given how low it got and uh... you know we hadn't even got most of our players in at that point but like, it is just the way we are. We, we need to protect ourselves with this final moment and a decision three games into the season.
2: Right, Good Clive, have you got a villain? Are you too nice to have a villain?
3: Uh, yeah, well, I'm struggling with... Uh, well, I can pick a couple. Gary Neville. Uh, yeah. No, that's mine. That's mine. Uh, I, I think... Mine. Because t- uh, I know what's coming, I'm not going to pick that. But um, I think the thing that I don't like is when um, people really enjoy dividing us. Do you know what I mean? And that's the thing that bothers me. Um, people in, in, our, in our world, on the online world, really enjoy division, really enjoy negativity, and I, and, I, and I don't, right? It doesn't mean that you can't critique, it doesn't mean you can't see things, it doesn't mean you can't see when people are standing in the wrong place, Like um, I write back, for example, standing in the wrong place, um, <laughs> doesn't mean, doesn't mean I, I can't say that, but there are people that literally live off the fact when things go wrong, and, and I don't think that's what football's about, you know, I generally don't. I think you should be looking for solutions for it to go right. And um, people that live in that place, but then still enjoy the good days, but they've got themselves protected on the bad days. I'm just done with that, right? So, um, and feel as though you're not critical enough. What are you talking about? We can critique without asking for someone to be fired for their job. Do you know what I mean? I I really feel that's something that's defined us in recent years, and we need to change that by being a little bit more, not, not you guys, by the way, because that's what, you guys don't think like that. There are a lot of people that do, and I think we can't always be defined by a, a somebody in or somebody out. I think that needs to stop. So. Cool.
2: Um, before someone else says Gary Neville, I'm just going to have to say Gary Neville. I think... Uh, I, I had my doubts when Arsenal signed a load of young players last summer and he couldn't figure out what the plan was. <laughs> like, did someone need to wear a T-shirt or, I don't know, take an ad out in the Times? And he's reminded me of just how annoying he was as a footballer as well. And I, I kind of like that. I enjoy that. I'm trying to enjoy football more, and part of enjoying football is just not liking some people, and he's right up there. So, And someone who voluntarily
5: has that facial hair (laughs) is not to be trusted or listened to. (laughs) James. Sorry, we should have said
1: Paul's gone to get changed for the dance finale. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Something to look forward to there. But he's still trying to give his answer from back there. (laughs) Uh, well, I, I had last pick, and so this is such low-hanging fruit. But it's Piers Morgan. Um, <laughs> I I, uh, I just sort of I've sort of marvelled from afar. I say from afar because obviously I've blocked him. But um, he still sort of appears in my life and in my news feeds. His sort of one-man crusade about Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, as much as it's something that excites us all to certain degrees, it's just bizarre, and it continues to irritate me that he is mm-hmm. kind of perceived as in any way emblematic of how Arsenal fans feel about anything, because I don't really think that's accurate. Um, so, yeah, It's him but to be honest it could be him every season
2: evergreen but here's the thing and this is a stat I believe it comes from Opta Obama Yang has more goals for Barcelona than he has viewers for his new TV show (laughs) (laughs) nailed it we've got one more villain of the season from Elliot
4: yeah I I promise I'm not just trying to do crowd pleasing stuff but it's the referees this season for me And I hate to pick it because it's such an easy way to excuse the club from doing what they need to do, the players from doing what they need to do. But, Baccio Saka getting kicked in the back of the leg, Tomiyasu getting his face stepped on, uh, Martinelli's not offside offs. I mean, I won't go and through the, the red like,
2: card, the Martinelli the, the, red the card, the red
4: card for Martinelli where he got two yellows in the same play. I mean, you can just go through all of it and like. And even if we want to extend beyond Arsenal, you could just say the standard of refereeing isn't good enough. But for Arsenal this season, as I talked about earlier, margins being so small, one of those critical, key, obviously wrong decisions going our way. The Manchester City game, a moment we should have... It should have been the apotheosis of what we're trying to achieve with this group. Taking on that team and beating them and deserving to beat them. And that was taken from us by calls that I don't think were right. So, yeah, I mean, they they are the villains this season, and they, if we don't achieve what we want to, they will be a big part of it.
2: Yeah, okay. Um, we've we've kind of gone over time here a little bit, so um, we're going to have to wrap this up, but I just want to say to all of you here tonight, it's amazing to be in this incredible venue in North London with all of you guys, Arsenal fans, and Arsenal Vision fans, and Arsblog fans alike, and we, uh, I'm sure I speak for all these guys, hugely appreciate you and the fact that you listen and you download and you support what we do, Um, and we hope you've had a a really good night tonight. We're going to do more of these now that the world is slightly more normal again, so we're looking forward to seeing loads of you at uh, events in the future. We'll keep everything crossed tomorrow for the miracle at Caro Road and possibly the miracle at the Emirates Stadium, the <laughs> <depending laughs> way things are going. But for now, um, thank you so much. We are going to be around for a little bit. If people want to get pictures, the organizers say, if people can queue on the left-hand side, we're going to have to try and get people on stage and off stage really quickly because there's so many. Um, but I guess that's pretty much a first-world problem. So... Anyone else got anything to add other than thank you, we love you, and good night? That's it. Thank you all so much. Thank you. you.